Hi, everyone. This is Jack with the Blame the Amygdala podcast. Usually I write about psychopaths, serial killers, um, any sort of abnormal psychology stuff. Uh, I like to write about the dark side of love. And I've uh, also at times written about necrophilia. But today I wanted to read a story I've written called Larry the Boxer. A uh, huge boxing fan, um, always have been. I'd love to see a boxer actually represented as a hero in a story that's a bit non-traditional. Um, so this was my attempt at that. So Larry's a heavyweight. Um, he goes on an adventure with a talking squirrel to fight a dragon. Uh, while on this adventure, he endures a number of challenges like fighting bees, uh, jumping logs, and helping a colony of spiders build a block of flats. Of course, all of these challenges help him to become a better boxer. Uh, I'm going to divide the story up into parts, reading a few chapters at a time. So today I'll be reading part one, which will be the first three chapters. So chapter one, Larry the Boxer. Larry the Boxer was six foot four and just under 17 stone, with short cropped brown hair and deep brown eyes. His face hadn't been too badly pummeled, but his nose had the angular telltale signs of a couple of breakages. He was in excellent physical condition and had a good reach for a boxer, but unfortunately he was also easily irritated and had a short temper. His professional record was 18 wins, 17 by knockout, and one loss, which he didn't like to talk about. Unless he'd had a few beers, at which point he would rant at great length about the blind referee being hit after the bell, getting hit in the kidneys, and being headbutted in one of the many clinches during the fight. In the end, after he had been knocked down a few times, he lost by a unanimous decision. But the fight had been so close, it just left a bitter taste in his mouth. He should have won. Larry trained in a huge barn out in the middle of nowhere in the flat fields of Norfolk, England. He liked to be left alone when he trained, so he had purchased a farmhouse out in the rural countryside, and converted the barn into his gym. He had a number of different punching bags hanging from the rafters, a speedball attached to the wall, and a fairly sizable collection of weights. He also inherited a cow with the barn. When he had first arrived at his new house out in the country, he had pulled the barn doors open, and the cow was just standing there, looking at him. After a brief moment of astonishment, Larry simply shrugged, named the cow Heavyweight, and appointed her the new barn manager although all she ever seemed to do was shit on the floor. Larry's trainer, Brian, was a drunkard, which meant when training was supposed to start at 5am, Larry could expect to work on his own until about 1pm, when Brian would stumble into the barn wearing sunglasses and moaning about a headache and the intensity of the sun. But Brian had forearms like tree trunks, and was excellent for holding up pads for Brian to train his punches, and when he was sober enough to string words together, he actually came out with a lot of sage-like advice. Now in his late 50s, Brian had once com himself competed on the professional level as a super middleweight, although now with his beer belly sagging low, he would have easily made a heavyweight. Larry was currently in training for his revenge match to make up for his one loss. He had recently defeated a tough and chiseled Serbian boxer by the name of Olaf the Destroyer Vashlev, and was now ready to get back into the ring with the man responsible for tainting his record, Richie the Red Connors. Connors was a Scottish heavyweight, and the first Southpaw to give Larry any trouble. Connors was also now the British heavyweight champion, claiming the belt after his match with Larry in a very one-sided bout against Frankie Muttonchomp Jones. To add to it, Connors was also in his early 40s, which Larry, in his late 20s, just couldn't accept. 
boxers in their 40s were supposed to be over the hill. And losing to one just was just a sour experience for a young boxer. The rematch with Connors was only one week away, and Larry's training had not gone as he'd hoped. His feet just remained sluggish, and he felt like his hands were too clumsy. Brian had told him to expect to go the full 12 rounds again, and to keep Connors on the end of his jab. The reason for this was to keep Connors at a distance, because once he got up close, Connors had a reputation for doing a lot of damage. And once he got in, fighters got knocked down or knocked out. But Larry wanted to hurt him. He didn't want to box Connors for 12 rounds. He wanted to destroy Connors in the first few rounds and knock that contemptuous grin off his old stupid face. Early one morning, just as the sun was coming up, Larry entered the barn in his pink bathrobe and bunny slippers, holding a cup of steaming hot coffee. He surveyed the gym and began to think about all the training he had to fit in before the end of the day. Brian had arranged for a number of younger heavyweights to come in and spar with Larry, but they wouldn't arrive until the afternoon. Brian was currently fast asleep in a blue recliner that he used as an office chair in the back corner of the barn. An empty bottle of scotch sat in his lap, rising and falling with each of his snores. Larry shook his head and went to say good morning to heavyweight. She was lying down on her bed of hay asleep, but she opened her eyes when Larry approached. Good morning, gal, said Larry, and reached out to stroke her on the head. Larry's slipper sank straight into a large fresh cow pat, and he was immediately swept into the air, and the cold, hard, muddy barn floor slammed into his back, knocking the wind from him. He'd been KO'd by cow shit. When Larry awoke, he wasn't in the barn. He wasn't in the barn at all. Chapter 2. The Land of Eustress Larry opened his eyes, and the world was still spinning. He endeavoured to sit up, but in spite of having well-formed abs, he still rocked about unsteady as he struggled to move perpendicular to the ground. He put his hands down either side of his waist and his hands sank into some deep, damp grass. Larry knew there was no grass in his gym, and so he wondered if he'd somehow stumbled outside into one of the fields. With a fierce determination to figure out what was happening, he picked himself up and soon found that he was outside in the wooded countryside, only he was next to an unfamiliar dirt road that stretched out endlessly towards the horizon, and the barn and his house were nowhere in sight. Larry blinked a few times and shook his head, but the view remained the same. He looked over his shoulder and still did not recognize anything. There was just the unfamiliar dirt road and sporadic trees trailing off into the distance. In Larry's earlier life, finding himself out in the countryside and alone had not been too unusual. Only those occurrences had tended to happen when he'd been at the bottle, and it was in the dark early hours of the morning. Larry knew he was sober, but checked his breath anyway, cupping his hand over his mouth so he could blow into his nostrils. He could only smell the traces of his morning coffee, although he was no longer holding his coffee cup. The pink bathrobe, however, was still tied tight around his body, only now it was damp and dirty, and on the back was a large circle of cow poo. Larry checked to see if he was still wearing his bunny rabbit slippers, and indeed his feet were still deep inside the warm bunnies, only those were now caked in cow dung also. After waiting for reality to change for a few more seconds, Larry knew he was stuck somewhere strange. Hello, he shouted. His voice carried far, but it quickly faded into silence. Larry tried again. Can anybody hear me? His voice bellowed hard and fierce, yet there was still no reply. Larry hung his head and sighed. He really didn't need this first thing in the morning. As he thought about what to do, feelings of despair tugged at his stomach and made him feel giddy. I said I can hear you, 
Larry jumped, surprised by the high-pitched voice. He couldn't see anyone. The voice squeaked again. Hey, watch it. You nearly stepped on me, you witless moron. The voice came up from Larry's feet. He looked down, but there was nothing to see except grass as he spun around to examine the ground. Then, out of the corner of his eye, he caught sight of a red speck. Larry turned his head to see a red squirrel sitting on his right shoulder. His mouth dropped open, aghast. The tiny critter stared back at him with a sense of purpose twinkling in his dark eyes. You need to be more careful where you're stepping, mate. Larry fell backwards. He knew squirrels couldn't talk. Something very sinister was happening here. He landed on his back again, falling into the damp grass. The squirrel was now on Larry's chest, sitting up on its hindquarters with both of its front paws up on its tiny hips. The squirrel shook its head. Don't have very good balance, do you? What the hell is going on here? asked Larry, half to the squirrel, half to himself. I've been trying to get your attention, lectured the squirrel. This has to be a dream, said Larry, looking up at the sky. I'm still in bed, fast asleep. Looks to me like your fat ass just fell over into some damp grass, but whatever. Larry left his, lifted his head off the ground to look at the squirrel sitting on his chest. The squirrel chewed off the tip of a nail and spat it out. Cheeky little bugger, aren't you? said Larry. Lord Cyril Templemead, actually, replied the squirrel, standing up with an outstretched paw. Larry found himself lifting his hand so he could shake Cyril's paw. What's your name, Cyril asked, sitting back down. Larry, he replied. Larry the Boxer. Well, Larry the Boxer, I need your help. But first, get up. Larry picked himself up off the ground and the squirrel clung tight to the pink robe, climbing up to Larry's right shoulder. All right, what's the plan, Larry asked, walking over to the road. Cyril struck a pose on Larry's shoulder, pointing into the distance. We go yonder, he squeaked. Yonder? What is yonder? Larry asked, and tried to forget that he was talking out loud to a squirrel. Cyril sat down, which made his tail stand up and brush across Larry's ear. With a touch of awe in his voice, the squirrel replied, The Great River. Larry slid his hands into his pockets and began to put one foot in front of the other, eager just to go somewhere, anywhere that was different. What's so great about the Great River? Larry asked, listening to the crunch of loose dirt under his feet. Well, it's big, isn't it? replied Cyril, curling up into a ball. Larry looked out over the rolling hills and trees spread out before him, hoping to catch a glimpse of a cottage or a tractor, anything that indicated human inhabitants could be nearby. But alas, there was no such things, only trees, fields, and the road he was on. Larry raised his hand up to his brow and squinted into the distance. Where is this river? Far away, replied Cyril, who was now on the verge of sleep. Of course it is, Larry exclaimed, waving his arms in frustration. Cyril nearly fell off Larry's shoulder. Watch it, he said, scrambling back up Larry's robe. Don't be so angry. It's far away for me, but for you and your ruddy great legs, we should be there in no time. Now that I've found you, I need to sleep, for I have travelled far. Oh, replied Larry, sorry. He turned his head so he could see the little squirrel. Cyril curled up tight and closed his eyes. Larry strolled onwards, and after a few minutes, he came to the apex of a small hill and could see a huge river cutting across the countryside. He estimated the river to be about a mile or two away. To his right had appeared an old wooden sign that was stuck in the ground on a moss-covered post with a huge split down the side. Some of the wooden boards were cracked and chipped. Across the middle of the sign, in flaking white paint, read, Welcome to the land of Eustress. Chapter 3. The Great River Larry walked all the way down the dirt road until he came to the torrid bluish-grey river. 
It was flowing very fast from right to left, and streams of white foam wavered and bubbled around groups of rocks jutting out above the surface. The end road, the road ended in a T-junction before the bank and diverged along the river in both directions. There was no obvious way to cross the river, although Larry did notice the remnants of wooden bridge supports, now collapsed and lying broken by the water. He looked both ways, but couldn't make out a bridge in either direction. Across the river was a dense grove, and another path winding in among the trees. The slight roar and gurgle did nothing to wake the sleeping squirrel, so Larry brought his right fist up to his mouth and coughed a throaty cough. The squirrel stirred and sat up, yawning and stretching out his tiny squirrel arms. We're here, said Cyril, jumping up and down. Yeah, now how do we cross? Larry asked, skeptical. You have to do it, said Cyril. That's why I needed your help. I can't cross that river on my own. Larry watched the water racing between the grassy banks and knew there was no way he could wade through it without being swept off downstream. Okay, began Larry, how do I cross? Cyril brought up his right paw to his chin and tapped it with his fingers, thinking. It just so happens, he said, after a while, that an arborist and his crew float trees down this river to a lumber mill. A what does what in the what now? Larry asked, scratching his head. Cyril rolled his eyes and grabbed Larry's chin with his tiny right paw and pulled it so Larry was looking down the river to his right. Cyril pointed into the distance with his left paw. A group of men remove trees from the forest of Dempsey and float them down the Great River to a lumber mill about ten miles from here down that way. Cyril swept his left paw along the river so it was pointing in the other direction. The lumber mill then cuts the trees and sells the wood at market, Cyril explained. That's lovely, said Larry, but how is that going to help us cross the river? Cyril rolled his eyes and sighed. How many times have you been hit in the head? Larry had to think about it. He didn't know if it was the act of counting that was causing him difficulty, or just the very fact that he had been punched in the head many times. Cyril noticed Larry's vacant expression. I see, he said, tapping his foot. Listen, when those trees come floating down the river, you're going to have to jump from one to the next until you are across. Larry laughed hard. That's the only way we can cross, said Cyril, folding his arms and standing up straight. I can't jump across trees that are floating down a river, Larry exclaimed defiant. I'll fall and hurt myself, and we'll both drown. What are you again, asked Cyril. A boxer? Larry nodded. I guess they don't use their feet, said Cyril, turning his back on Larry. That seemed to strike a chord. Larry could remember the countless times Brian had told him to move his feet, even over the last few days. Larry relied too much on throwing hard punches and taking a bit of punishment, so his footwork never really got tested. You're right, said Larry, the scorn and defiance draining from his face. I know I am, said Cyril, his back still to Larry. Okay, I'll do it, Larry relented. Where are these trees? There was not a single tree to be seen floating in the entire river. Cyril sat down to face the section of river in front of them. They'll be along soon enough, he said, dangling his feet down in front of Larry's collarbone, and you'd best be ready when they come. Larry and Cyril waited for what felt like an hour, but then, sure enough, some logs appeared in the river to their right. They didn't seem to be traveling very fast at first, but it looked like they almost covered the entire surface of the river. Larry smiled, thinking that as long as he kept moving, he would be on the other side in no time. Then, as the logs neared, he could tell they were moving very fast, and sometimes there were wide gaps between them. His smile faded. Cyril gripped a hold of Larry's ear and scarpered up to the top of his head. Larry shouted and grabbed his neck, where Cyril's tiny claws had just dug in. Ow! he yelled. What are you doing? 
I'm staying up here, Cyril replied. It's the safest place in case you fall in. Larry's voice wavered. I'm not going to fall in. He slowly approached the bank of the river, shaking out his arms and legs to loosen his muscles. He then stood on the edge of the grassy bank, his bunny slippers no more than a foot from the edge of the vast and dangerous water. Larry trained his focus on the logs and steadied himself for the task at hand. The logs rushed down the river, deadly and powerful, unaware of the tall and heavy man in his dirty pink bathrobe, about to leap out onto them in a crazy mission to get to the other side. Larry lowered his body, knees bent, and moved his right foot back behind him, ready to spring forward like a ninja. He could feel Cyril grip his hair tight and digging his tiny little claws into his scalp. He would have complained, but the logs were almost upon them. The trees flowed rampant and powerful along the river, and Larry focused hard, drawing deeper breaths, waiting for the voice in his head to tell him to go. And then all of a sudden he jumped, glorious, his legs astride and brilliant as he began to transverse the air above the river. His front foot came down solidly onto a log and there was a momentary relief, but his foot seemed to be pushing the log further out in front of him as the rest of his body tried to catch up. Splash! The icy cold and fast water of the river engulfed Larry, frothing and foaming and bashing at his torso. He forced his feet downwards towards the riverbed, and they just made it, allowing him to stand with only his head and shoulders above the surface. But he had to dig in hard against the current because the river threatened to sweep him off downstream, where he might be cut up into lumber. Larry drew a deep breath before more water crashed into his face, and another log narrowly missed, taking his head clean off his shoulders. He waited fierce, forcing his body down towards the bank with all the strength he could muster. But the river held him hard, and it didn't want to let him go without a fight. Larry swung his left foot forward and planted it down firmly. He could feel the riverbed rising, and he knew he was right next to the bank, although a hard crack sent him reeling away after a log collided into his left shoulder. He reached out and grabbed a clump of grass on the bank with his right hand, shouting and cursing all the while. His left arm fell limp, but he commanded it to hold him tight to the bank in spite of the dull throbbing and needle-like pain in his shoulder. Both of Larry's feet and hands were now braced on the bank so he could climb up, reassess the damage, and come up with a different strategy. He suddenly felt very cold as he scrambled up the bank, but he didn't stop to investigate until he was all the way to the top. Larry picked himself up, dripping wet, and turning to look down at the mocking river, watched as more logs shot across the surface on their way downstream to, to be turned into tables and chairs. One of the logs to his left, which seemed to be moving slower now that it was further away, was a large pink mass. It was his bathrobe. Larry was now standing over the river, icy cold, covered in dirt from the bank, and completely butt naked with the exception of his bunny slippers. Now that, began Cyril, shaking himself off on the top of Larry's head, was an unmitigated disaster. Larry put his hands up on his hips and surveyed the river again. Really? said Larry. If you have any suggestions, feel free to share them. Without missing a beat, Cyril imparted his advice. Instead of leaping out like a giant chump, why don't you hop to a nearby log so that you don't overextend yourself? Larry scratched his head, mulling it over. That's not a bad idea, he said, looking down at the flattened grass on the torn ground of the bank where he had just heaved himself away from the, an early death. Of course it isn't, said Cyril, squatting down and grabbing Larry's hair again. Now hurry up before the trees stop coming, or we'll have to wait again. Larry stepped back towards the edge of the bank, his feet squelching and squishing within his slippers. 
He heaved a deep breath, determined to get across this time. Larry never took defeat lightly, and he was not going to let the river get the better of him. He lowered himself down again and prepared for another mighty leap. Larry, shouted Cyril, what did I just say? Sorry, sorry, replied Larry, remembering he'd changed strategy. He descended the bank a little way so he could concentrate on the nearest logs. He focused intently on a tree that was approaching fast from his right, and as soon as it began to pass in front of him, he hopped onto it, keeping his body a little more upright and his feet a little closer together. The log moved fast and threatened to throw Larry back into the river, but Larry jumped again, ready to risk the surly intentions of another log. He landed, wobbling a little, but with his hands out in front, he regained some composure and hopped again to the next log. Although this time his feet just slipped and he spun around so he was now facing the other direction. Larry fought to stay upright and could feel Cyril's feet digging in deeper into his head. With fierce resolve, he shifted quickly, 180 degrees, and leapt to the next log. Only he overshot it and fell forward. He crashed hard against the riverbank, although he was only half submerged in the vicious torrents. Larry grabbed the bank and pulled hard to get his legs out of the water. His hands and feet continued to slip and slide, but he fought hard and managed to scramble up the riverbank to safety. Larry laughed and threw his fist into the air to celebrate. Ah, I did it, he yelled, and hopped from one foot to the other in celebration. Well done, said Cyril, his tone cynical. You bloody great naked oaf. Larry glanced down and was reminded of the fact that he was indeed naked and dirty, and his left shoulder was beginning to throb like the bone was knocking, uh, knocking to come out. Cyril hopped down from Larry's head. It doesn't matter, said Cyril. You can get some clothes from the tailor in town. Larry bent over to rest his hands on his knees. What town, he asked, still a little breathless. Ye old town of Queensbury, replied Cyril, trying to wring some of the water out of his fur. Larry stood up and walked slowly over to the trail that ran through the grove. He stole another look back at the river, wanting one last time to gloat. Is that why we needed to cross the river, he asked, turning back to face the trees. What do you mean, asked Cyril, sitting back down on Larry's shoulder. You need to go to this town of Queensbury. Yes, Cyril replied. They have the best tavern with the best ale in the whole of the land of Eustress. Okay, thanks for listening. That was the first three chapters. I'll release the next part soon. Thanks. Bye.